in four years, we went from zero to 300 million in real estate sales. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer with me. Excited to have Jay Bergana. Jay, how are you doing today? Excellent. How are you? Man, I'm doing uh, fantastic. Thanks for joining me. A little bit about Jay. He's a veteran management consultant turned business owner. Experience uh, in banking, manufacturing, management, consulting, uh, including 10-year stints in China and Europe. Currently, uh, Jay resides in Oahu, Hawaii uh, with his family. And uh, so, man, you've just been all over the place. Uh, started started Home Early Real Estate Group, grew that, uh, recently sold it. We'll dive into that as well. And uh, and now Jay is um, buying businesses, buying flipping businesses, just doing a lot of cool stuff. So excited to dive in, Jay. Why don't you give our listeners, though, a bit more about your background, and then, and then we'll really get into some of the meat. Yeah. Um, so I'm originally from Morocco. I grew up there. I went um, to school a little bit there. Uh, as soon as I could work right out of high school, I uh, needed to work right away. I didn't. I came from pretty poor background, uh, and uh, I thought to myself, okay, where if I wanted to learn about money, um, I didn't know anybody around me who knew anything about money. So money is in the bank. Let me go work for a bank to learn about money. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I worked for a French bank in, in Morocco and I've, and I worked for them in Europe, uh, Paris and Brussels and uh, for a couple of years. And I did pretty much everything from consumer banking to business banking to trade, international trade, anything, you name it, I've done it within the bank. And you know, having been in Morocco, having been in Europe, uh, around that was the late nineties. I, there were very little opportunities, if you will, to grow and build, you know, wealth. And um, I figured the next place to go would be the, the United States. So I landed in Southern California, late two thousand two, and um, I worked for a mutual fund. I wanted to kind of like, you know, piggyback on my finance experience. Worked for them for for a year. I didn't really care for it that much. And I said, okay, I'm going to f- make a, a 180 on uh, on finance and then go the other way, go toward entrepreneurship and, and or just business, working in the business. And so I went into manufacturing. I worked for this uh, uh, home decor, gift product, health and beauty product manufacturer. We, had, we were headquartered in Southern California, but we had a facility in China. And I worked for them in Southern California in operations for a couple of years. I went to China for on the project for two weeks. I stayed there for four years and I ran a million square foot facility with 3,000 people that worked there, lived there, ate there, did everything there. So we, were, we had clients from Walmart to Target to Ben Bad Beyond to Sears to any retailer you can think of. And uh, it was wonderful. It was great. And I get to, to travel China to get to know a lot of people to manage a really nice operation in the language that didn't really I didn't really speak that much of you know I learned a little bit but it was great and um, it taught me that if you can manage people in a different country in a different culture in a different uh, language you can manage anybody anywhere. and the concepts of managing people building good businesses are the same and they apply everywhere in the world and uh, 2007 2008 happened and uh, uh, every retailer that we worked with uh, gotten creative in uh, filing uh, or picking a chapter or bankruptcy that that's going to allow them not to pay us. And uh, Bank of America was uh, going through its own challenges. They took our $100 million line of credit. And at the time, we were almost a billion dollar in sales. And we went out of business within 90 days. Wow. Yeah. So within 90 days, we're out of, I was selling the racks in the warehouse. And uh, a lot of the guys, a lot of the executives that were in the company went to different companies, found jobs, other industries, but they always knew that I was kind of the turnaround guy, the guy that comes, the fix-it guy, the guy who comes fixes operations. And after 2007, 2008, every company was a fixer, if you will. 
Every company became a turnaround. So I spent about four or five years just traveling the country, traveling the world, going to different places, fixing companies, operations, systems, processes, and all that. And it was a lot of fun. I had a blast. I was still single. And uh, yeah, I I had a good time. I enjoy uh, the process of transformation of a business. And uh, five years into it, I kind of got tired. Um, I was traveling 100% of the time. And I said, I'm going to take a year off and and reconnect. So I went back to Southern California, reconnected with some friends. Uh, and just so it happened, they had bought houses around the same time. And they were telling me how great it was to be a homeowner or how great it was to how much of a, a hedge against inflation to buy a house in 2011, 2012. And, uh, and I, you know, I picked up the bug and, you know, I went on Zillow and started looking for houses and, you know, I bought a couple of condos in Long Beach, California, and I saw value go up while I was in escrow. And I'm like, all right, there's something there. And uh, I wanted to learn more about real estate. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of education on YouTube or I don't think there was YouTube at the time. I don't remember, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, what's available today. And yep. so, so the silly, um, impatient me uh instead of digging the research in more i just went and said hey let me get my real estate license and i'm gonna learn real <laughs> estate and uh and around the same time i met my wife and we got engaged got married and all and and i got my license got sucked into real estate sales and i said okay now my reality is real estate salesperson and uh and it's good because i'm geographically you know in one place so i'm not traveling all over place all the time and um and so i gave it a shot so in four years we went from zero to 300 million in real estate sales and uh we had a a large uh a large independent that did about four billion in sales at the time came by and said hey we want to acquire we like what you do we want to acquire you guys you know so i sold 70 percent of the company i stayed on board had a contract for three years uh we doubled that's instantly at the merger because they had a division that uh, doing something similar. They just, you know, eliminated overhead. And then we doubled every year after that. Um, I stayed on board for about three and a half years. Halfway, uh, COVID hit. And, uh, you know, I was looking at myself trapped into managing through Zoom. So if I'm going to do Zoom, might as well be somewhere nice. So we came here to Hawaii uh, early 2020. And I figured at the time, I figured it's going to be a two-year ordeal. And uh, so we, we've been here since. We, we love it. The kids love it. The kids are homeschooled and, and, and we love it. And uh, last end of end of 2022 or 21, end of 21, I sold the remaining shares. I exited um, that entirely and have been essentially acquiring, uh, you know, small businesses and, and with the intent to either hold or, or resell. Love it. So let's unpack some of that. So the small businesses that you are purchasing, what, what kind of, are you certain size businesses that you like? Yeah, I, I like anything between 750000 and $2 million in a which is earning before interest, tax, and depreciation. Okay. So essentially... Not, not exactly, but close to the same for real estate people, similar to NOI, net operating income. Yeah. Yes. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. So okay. anything 750, 750 to 2 million. Are certain industries that you really like? Or is there some that work better than others? I like the, I like home services. Um, uh, anything from HVAC, uh, roofing, insulation, uh, restoration. Um, I like, uh, uh, this, this dish of it, uh, technology, uh, uh, managed services, what they call managed services, which is just those outsourced tech guys that come to companies and help fix their server or do security for them. I like, um, uh, non-medical health businesses, um, anything from, you know, like the IV guys to the Botox guys to the you know, stem cell injection guys. So those are great as well. So they're, they're very, they're, 
you know, in general, they're low capex businesses, they're service businesses, and they're essentially almost like a labor arbitrage, if you will, with the component of flex service. Um, so yeah. So you're buying a business. Uh, are are they typically distressed when you're buying them, or do you just feel like they've got a lot of upside that they haven't captured? Yeah, not necessarily distress, but um, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. And a lot of times is that uh, the owner has owned the business for 20 some years and he's been coasting for 10. Mm. And so they never actually turn over the team. They never look at their processes. They never update their technology. They never, yeah, they just, it's working. They don't mess with it. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, everybody wants to be passive nowadays, so. Are you are you doing a lot of uh, seller type financing on these? Yeah, it's, there okay. there's a combination. Some of them, some of them, um, you should do seller financing because of the way you know. If it, there's, it could be the same business, and one business you're gonna finance, and one business you're not. And and I'll just give you an example. If you have a business that has consistently growing revenue numbers and and the uh, margins are growing with those revenue numbers, then you can finance that and pay the guy and just move on because it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a really good asset. Like an but SBA if you're buying financing or what do you, yeah, do you yeah, 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 SBA, mostly SBA. Yeah. And then if you're, but if you're buying the declining um, revenue, then you need some type of earn out, you need some type of um, seller financing. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and how how do you find uh, it's intriguing to buy businesses, especially for me for like home based service based type businesses? Because you know, but with owning a bunch of real estate, that kind of plays well with it, right? Uh, but where how do you find these businesses that you're looking to acquire? That yeah, are, you know, a mom pa type of business. Yeah, just like like you would look for real estate assets, pretty much are the you same buying thing. Them you know, you're gonna brokers? find. You're going to find brokers, you know, you're going to find direct, you're going to direct approach, direct seller approach. So you're going to do both. And uh, that's just pretty much how it goes. Now it's, there's no difference. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, all right. So you buy this business, it's, it's got potential for upside, but you're, are you just buying one business at a time working in that business or do you buy multiple at a time? It depends. So, you know, if it's if it's an industry that new, that never been, then it'll be one. If uh if we're like doing a roll-up strategy where we're growing an existing business that we have, we we'll call a platform and we have a really solid team, we have solid processes, we've proven, then you, you can go and do you go on the buying spree where you can buy, you know, five a year if you want. Okay. Um, so, so it all depends on, you know, what your existing capabilities are. Take me through that and what it takes, like, what does it take to actually come in and turn that business around, make it profitable because your, your, your goal, your end goal is to turn around, make it profitable and eventually exit. Is that correct? Yeah. So the goal is to really make it resilient, make it, um, you know, uh, meet its potential in terms of returns and uh, build um, a, a wonderful team with a good culture and and just make an impact on that business and on that community. So the way the way I go about it is the same I, when I did in my consulting days. Uh, we start with the with with the client experience. So we, we look at the service, whatever the service is, and then we find out what is the from from a customer perspective, what is the ideal customer experience? And then we map that experience and we map what we call like these, you know, field points. And we want to provide the best experience possible or the best product for making product possible. And then, so then, so, and we talk to clients, we talk to customers, we talk to, that's how we get, get to that. We said, we asked existing customers, what are we doing? What are we doing well? And what do, what do we suck at? And how can we get better? And, Who's doing it better and who else is doing it better and who can we learn from? And then we design a process to deliver that. At first, that process is usually not 
great. It's clunky, but we don't care. It's not super scalable, but we don't care. We just want to achieve that outcome, like that, the ultimate, you know, uh, level 10 experience, if you will. And, and then so once we do that, then we go back to that process and, and try to play with it to make it scalable. So we mess with that process until we get it to a point where we have a scalable process that can achieve that 10 experience. And then we find, you know, we write it down and we have the people, we got to create the profile, the personality profile, the, the experience profile that we need in each role. And then we laid on top, we laid the technology tools that are going to help these people achieve that consistency for that level 10 experience. And then once we have that, then we bring the supervision uh, that's going to allow the accountability for these people and the full use of this technology to achieve that level 10 experience. And then once we do that, then we uh, observe uh, who do we have in our team and what is, how can we articulate the culture that we have? Because now that we have the system and we have the team, we want to keep that team. So yeah, we right. want to, understand what do we have here? Do we have people that like burgers or people that like tacos? We have people that like to listen to, you know, country music or people that like to listen. So we want to find out who do we have? What's common among these people? Are these people that, you know, dog people or cat people? Like literally we go that far. We survey everybody and we try to find the commonalities. Hmm. And that, then we cannot create this profile of who do we have and what is our culture? And then we articulate it back to them and we get feedback, and then we, that becomes our culture. And, and then we hire the top management that matches that culture, that understands the, the, the level 10 experience and how to maintain it, how to exceed it. And, and then once we have that management in place, understands the KPI, understands the culture, understands the customers, loves the client, loves the business, then we just, now you either leave it alone and you run it uh, passively or you, you sell it. It's interesting that you're talking about the culture and a lot of people talk about creating their own culture. And I'm sure you do that as well, but you're, you're also taking into consideration the people that you already have that are in the business and taking into consideration what they do like, know, and you're saying, this is our culture and we're going to build a business around the existing people that are here and so you're not, you're, it sounds like you're really not trying to not shake the boat too much. Well, you can't really force a culture. Right. It's not a top down thing. So yeah. it's a bottom up thing. So you can have some concepts, some principles, but then they have to fit within the existing culture. And yeah. I mean, your culture is your people. Yeah. So it's who they are. So you can't really, you know, come up with something and then just say, oh, this is who we are now. Let's cheer for this. And that's what most companies do. They put it on the wall. They put the paint, the colors the way they want. That's not how it goes. That's, there's a dissonance. And those mm -hmm. companies still, even though they have a culture, they have a culture, they don't get the benefit of having a culture. You can say we have a, this is who we are. But if the people don't really believe it, they don't really feel it within them. Then they don't buy in. They don't buy and you still in. have the turnover. You still have the turnover. You still have the problems. You still have the same yeah. stuff. So you can't like say that, you know, you know, you guys are gonna now we're all like, you know, we all love to eat pizza when people don't like pizza. They want tacos. So you can't force that. You know what I mean? So that's to me that you you can have some general concepts about, you know, um about having a higher goal for your business than than individual goals. So one of the things that I always focus on, which I learned from uh, Daniel Pink, uh, his book, uh, not motivation, but it has something it has a another another name. So it's a it's a book on motivation from Daniel Pink. Uh, highly recommended to any manager, any uh, anybody. But he talked about how most people are most employees are not driven by money or at all. Uh, the, the main motivation is have, having a higher purpose than yeah. themselves, having autonomy toward what they do and, and having growth. 
and they, they feel they're learning, growing, and yep. progressing throughout their careers. So those three concepts have always been built in our culture in, in terms of like an explaining what is the benefit of a restoration business to, to that homeowner that we're restoring the business to, the, 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 the home for, and how does that restored home impact that street and how that, how that, uh, that restored home impact that street and that zip code and how those, um, how the family that's going to live there, the kids that are going to go to school there, the tax uh, revenue that's going to be right. generated, right. the security, all the stuff. So when you give people like a sense of what is the job that what our business creating. does in society, yeah. and you and you and you zoom out and you give people a view from the top, then they're like, "Oh my God, I'm excited to wake up in the morning and help these families because that's what I do. I go out and help society and make the world a better place. I don't just work at a restoration business. I don't just create PPC ads for a restoration business. No, yeah. I'm." This is what yeah. I do. I change the world. I'm a, I'm making the world a better place. Yeah, I, that right there is is super powerful, right? It just it's it's more than just I'm, I'm you know, if you're just showing up and you're doing a job, it, it just don't it, it just you're dealing with whatever. Yeah, I'm fixing a bunch of crap that's broken. If that's the attitude, yeah. you're not excited to go to work. Like, ah, right. But that's really what you're doing. You're fixing a bunch of crap right. that that doesn't work. But no, right. that's not what you're doing. You know, this is yeah. what this is really what you're doing and how you're affecting people and how you're affecting the neighborhood and how you're affecting the, you know, the whole community and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. The, the, so you literally just tell it, this is what you do, but this is the impact that it has. Yeah. So people focus on what they do as opposed to knowing what the impact is. And just most, most business owners never even know how to articulate. They don't know it themselves. Hmm. I've spoken to so many people and they just don't know it themselves. they as like, oh, I just got into this business because it looked good and I started doing that and made money and I've been Start doing it since. Money. Yeah. 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 You've got to take over businesses that have either a really negative uh, culture or have a couple people in there that just don't want to get along. How do you deal with that and, and get either those employees on board or just get them out? Like what, what's your kind of thought yeah of yeah and i mean um they're always they're always uh people that are like energy suckers within yeah. the business um you need to know if they have any information within them if they hold any uh business wisdom within them and you're trying to extract that and uh, if they don't then you just have to like you know give them the opportunity to be happy somewhere else yeah. And and if they um, and if they do, then you want to get that information out before you do that. You're gonna do that anyway. Uh, <laughs> but the key the key is to figure out how to, what is it that they know that's needed for the business, yeah. what information they have that's you know that's that's needed, and then uh, and usually it doesn't take that long to do. Um, probably like a month, you know, two months at the most uh, before. And and the sooner you get rid of those people. Uh, the faster your the the good people uh, activate. Yeah. You know what I found is that you know I used to go into facilities, factories with you know a thousand people, and I would literally have three minute interviews with each person and cut fifty percent of the 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 facility, and then and and we wouldn't we wouldn't waste we would lose a beat. The production keeps going. Like the guys that were in there that were like they cared, yeah. All of a sudden, no, they know who the people that left and they know why they kind of they knew her the whole the whole time. Yeah. And then they literally activate and you get 10 times the productivity from those people than you would you would get otherwise. Because yeah, before they were human, just it's human nature, right? I mean, you've got you know, you, you think of yourself as a factory worker. You're sitting here, you're working your tail off, and you got Jim next door that works with you every day. He shows up late. He takes his lunch early. He complains the whole time. He doesn't just, he just doesn't focus. And eventually that kind of wears off, especially when yep. you got Jim and then you got, you know, you got Sue on the other side that's doing the exact same thing. You're sitting here trying to work hard and, and it just yeah. like, you're not motivated and they're, they're making the same amount of money as you. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, come on, they work half what I work. They make the same amount of money. They, 
they're always t- taking sick days. Like this is ridiculous. I'm just yep, exactly. And when they when they get the boot, you're like, all right, let's go. You know, yeah. Really and and a lot of times, and a lot of times, even the people that you let go, they're happier as well because they're also mm-hmm. were were miserable there because they were waiting to be found out, and they themselves were not happy with it. Yeah. They're almost relieved probably that someone that's the case. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't do it myself, so. It's always been like an employee that wants to leave and, you know, they're waiting for it to be let go or, and then, or the boss waiting for the employee to leave on his own and doesn't want to let him go. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I, I, I found that 80% of the value that I used to create when turning around businesses from losing money to making money, 80% of it is that first couple of months turning over the, the people. Hmm. How yeah. do you hire really good people to fit in that business? It's to hire a lot of people. So it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting concept because um, I, I've, I've hired thousands and thousands of people. I used to go through like 500 resumes a day. So I've developed like a pattern recognition for what works and what doesn't. But even then I've, you know, because remember, I was telling you about the culture. Every business has its own culture. So if I'm I'm doing if I'm hiring for a, a business in California, it's a lot different than if I'm hiring in San Antonio, and it's a lot different than if I'm hiring in Georgia. So I essentially have to redevelop. There is a general pattern recognition, but then there is like a nuance that is localized, mm-hmm. and that is like that has to do with with the. Um, with that business itself. So what I found is like, I'm constantly re- have to relearn. And for me to relearn, I have to go through a lot of data, which is looking at a lot of resumes and interviewing a lot of people. Hmm. So everywhere I go, I don't, I don't have like hubris about like knowing who I'm going to pick. Um, and I don't, it's not, that's not happening, but there's certain things. Like if someone just shows up that, you know, yeah, there's no curiosity whatsoever and i mean i asked them what they did last time what was the job they did last time they say oh i used to work on this i used to do this job and i said tell me more about that, that job what did you do what was the how did you know that you were doing a good job you know how um you know what was the point of that job if they themselves if you have spent three years doing something you don't know how to measure i'm doing good or not then you don't care then I, you know, you're going to do the same thing in my business. So I don't really want that yeah. person. You know what I mean? I need some like basic, basic, basic curiosity about what you, what you do, you know, basic care about wanting to do a good job. Yeah. So, so, you know, so I like those people that really care and that really have curious and want to learn and want to grow. And so it, it sometimes it doesn't take that long, um, but you just have to go through a lot of resumes and relearn that relearn for every, you know, for every business. Hmm. I, I'm assuming you're just always hiring, right? You're, is that the concept? Con- constantly. You're constantly, you know, um, so I, I remember there's a story about um, uh, Charlie Munger and uh, uh, Munish, who is one of his mentees. He asked, he asked him, he, he, he told Charlie, you have all these great friends. All your friends are amazing. You know, you must be really good at understanding humans, uh, understanding how to pick people. And he said, no, I'm terrible. And I said, well, how come? All your friends are amazing. You have all these great people around you. He said, no. He said, when I, if, he, if, you, if you put me in a room with 100 people and I have about two minutes to mingle with each person, I can probably tell you very quickly the top three people that are really great quality people. And I can very quickly tell you what the bottom three are like the worst people. But I couldn't tell you the the other 94. I couldn't tell you what they are. So the way I operate is that I ignore the bottom three the same way I ignore the 94%. Hmm. And I just pick those three that are, that show up at the top. And I'll yeah. go and do it again with 100 other people. Yeah. I so that. I always keep going. <laughs> so, so, so the way I think of it, I think uh, the way I used to say myself, I used to say is you need to have talent flow, just like when you need to have deal deal flow. You're, if you have, um, you know, if you're in the real estate or you're buying business or you need deal flow yeah, and you need to have talent flow. So constantly be 
meeting people, talking to people, constantly top grading your team, um, constantly, uh, you know, taking out the bottom 10%, adding to the top. Um, so it's a, it's a consistent process. Uh, you know, Peter Drucker, who's the father of management, says that the purpose for a business to exist is to find a customer and to keep it. So just two concepts, very simple. And my kind of tweak to it is that the, the, the reason for a business to exist is to find talent and to keep it. Because if you find the talent, they will help you find the customer and they will help you keep the customer. Man, I love that. Good, good stuff. What is it? Take me through the mindset. Like what kind of mind, you know, it, it's not easy just going in and just buying a business and assuming you can, you can flip it at least the first, you know, time or two. What's that mindset? Um, what are, what are the things that really help you or maybe helped you in the beginning? Uh, if you can think back to, you know, that. Yeah. And I mean, Nothing is easy when you start in the beginning, you know, right. flipping, buying a first house or marriage or having a kid, all scary things. You're going into something that's uh, a little bit opaque, a little bit obscure, and your experience is not guaranteed to be the same as someone else's experience. But I had a little bit of an advantage because I essentially had worked on uh, turnaround teams um, on someone else's dom, if you will. I was, I was a turnaround for hire, if you will. So... I had that confidence in a way to walk into any business in any industry. I've done turnarounds for slaughterhouses and meat packing companies and uh, lettuce packing companies and plastic injection molding and mm. pharmaceuticals. And like, it couldn't go far from each other, but I figured very quickly at the end of the day, all businesses are essentially just teams, teams of people. And if you have, um, you know, some, elements of an experience on how to how do you understand the dynamic of a team and how you understand um, what it how, how do you uh, if you can if, if you can make the customer as your north star at the end of the day what are we doing here what's the goal that's that's what i always ask what are we doing here? what's the goal and our goal is to help people achieve if i'm if i'm a real estate team my goal is to help people find a home what does that home mean to that person Yep. And how can I help them? Number one, curate. And what is my value proposition as a real estate agent? My value proposition is to curate, you know, the right home for them. They're not. I'm not there to send them emails from the MLS. I'm there to guide to help them and how to think about how to pick about how to pick a home. Not necessarily just picking a home, but just how to think about. It. Mm-hmm. How, you know, who are we? You know, what kind of family do we have? Do we want to grow our family? Do we do we, do we have, are we dog people? Are we cat people? Are we, where are we? And then what neighborhoods are going to work for us and what kind of property is going to work for us where it's going to be a perfect match where, you know, you're not feeling like when you come in, this is home and you're going to be there for a long time and you're going to have pride of ownership of that home and you're going to know your neighbors and you're going to invest in your communities and you're going to spend money in your community and you're going to, you get to know people and you're going to make the world a better place. So your kids are going to get do better in school if you're staying in the same house and you have your homeowner and all this stuff. So to me, that's that's what it starts. So what's the goal? So if you're someone who can very quickly go into any business and identify what the goal is, what is the impact that this business does? What do we do here to achieve that impact? And how can we deliver the most impact? So remember that level 10 experience, level 10 product. If you can get your brain to, Say, okay, I'm goal. This is my North Star is the client, this 10 level 10 experience. And now, how can I, you know, uh, reverse engineer through my process, through my people? And then, as I figure out that process, how can I figure out the people? If you have that ability to lead people and, um, and to, to, to love your customer, then, yeah, then there's no, there's no way you won't succeed. Love it, man, man. This is, this is just, this is great stuff. I, I, I love this. A lot of concepts that really apply to uh, my real estate business as well. You know, it's just like, it, it all flows together. Um, what's a mistake that you have made or, or maybe something you've just like seen made that like you've really learned from it. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a lot of it is about people is like holding on. If you have like some really talent, if you're in the real estate, real estate team world, real estate sales world, if you have like a really good agent that's, you know, that's a talented and that's a closer and that's a, you know, he drives volume, but he's not a culture fit and it's not a long term, you know, um, a long term fit for the company. And, you know, the way I say, if I, if I if I can't spend if I can spend five years with somebody I don't want to spend an hour. Yeah. So so if I don't if I I myself don't trust them that much I know he's full of it I don't myself kind of like yeah. I'm always like you know man I'm scared of that guy because he's doing some short taking some shortcuts doing some stuff yeah. that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> so and that's always, a tough person to get a, yes. get rid of too though because yes. they're making your company a yes. lot of money they're a high yes. performer. And so yes. that, that'd be a tough person to get it. Yes. I'm thinking of, a you know, we own a lot of properties and I'm thinking of property manager of ours. That was very similar, just so terrible as far as culture goes. And it just like, you just didn't want to be around them, but they were doing very well. And it was yeah. finally like, you know, I just, I can't do this anymore. And it was the best thing that could have happened. It's funny because I thought they were doing well, but then the profitability just went up after yeah you know, we got rid of them and it's like, wow. Yeah. You know, I thought we were, I thought we were going to be kind of almost like screwed getting rid yeah. of them. So. Yeah. That's the hardest, that's the hardest one. Usually the ones that are the most, that seem the most productive that look like the most productive. Those are the hard ones to get rid of. And I think the sooner you can get rid of them, the better, because they do so much damage, not only with your, they do damage with your clients, they do damage with your suppliers, your vendors. They do damage with your reputation. They do damage yeah. with your employees. Yeah. You know, employees will quit without even telling you, you. That's the reason. Pro they're probably bringing other employees down. So correct. Their their sales might be five million, but correct. the other you know employees that are around them, their sales are down by twenty five percent because of that. Problem. Yeah, yeah, and 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 God forbid they might get people to start behaving like them. And then now you have like a bigger problem. Yeah, it's just like, it's just a ticking bomb yeah. that you have in your company that you don't want. So you just cut to your losses and then move on. The other thing that most people uh, don't do is, is, which I, is scaling, is scaling, um, scaling a bit more aggressively and scaling faster. Yeah. Um, I learned this thing. Uh, it's a great um, concept from, from uh, the airlines. I have a friend of mine who's a pilot. And he was telling me that the, you know, there are more accidents in 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 the airspace, and there are more accidents on the ground than on than up in the air. Hmm. And so most of the airline accidents happen on the ground. And um, taking off is a lot more dangerous than landing. And that first four hundred meter or four hundred feet is like the, they call it the widowmaker, and that's hmm. where like most of the accidents happens because you don't have a lot of room to maneuver and a lot of time to adjust. So, so you really want to like, you know, as you, as you grow in your business, if you have opportunities to take off and put some more fuel into it and push the, the gas, you want to do that as soon as you can to get to a certain altitude where you escape essentially gravity. And a lot of people don't reinvest. Don't So, so what they do, they, they, they either don't do it or do it the wrong at the wrong time. So, so I'll tell you both. They don't do it because they think they want to prove before they want to get to here before investing here. And when you can't get there until you really invest, invest in people, invest in marketing, invest in equipment, whatever it is that you need is depends on the business. Um, you want to try to aggressively invest as early as you can to give yourself as much uh, altitude as you can. And then, uh, now the the other side of it is you want to know what time are you investing. So if you're in the, uh, you know, 2010, 2011, you couldn't do any wrong. You know, any money you spend, you're gonna get a return over the next five, ten years. You're gonna get like, you know, exponential return. Yeah. But then if you were, you know, in 05, 06 and doing that, then that's not good because you're gonna essentially go down with the ship. So the key here is just understanding which part of the cycle we are, which season of the economic cycle we're in. And essentially, when, as soon as you have a little bit of a confirmation that we're at the beginning of a, a, a bull cycle or at a, you know, and then you just go 
you have to go very aggressive. You gotta, you know, if you have another property, sell it or refinance it, take that money, put it back in the business and then go crazy um, on, on growth. So yeah. I think those are two, two things. Fire people quicker and then uh, invest in the business scale as soon as you can. Where, where, where are we in your mind in the market right now? It's a, it's a really interesting, uh, it's a really interesting <laughs> question. I've gotten, I was more bearish last year. I'm a lot more bullish now. Really? So, yeah. So last year we, we saw the feds raise rates about 400 basis points Yeah. and the economy still was doing okay. You know, I mean, it didn't, you know, like the, the Fed started raising in March yep. and still the whole year, the consumer stayed strong. And then through Christmas was still strong. And then right now it's still strong. So I think as long as rates, rates, which the Fed say they're going to keep the Fed fund rate, they're going to increase it up to about four, five, five and a quarter, the Fed fund rate. Mm -hmm. I think the, 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 the market interest rates already adjusted to that already because they anticipate those yeah. uh, those increases. So it's not like they're reacting after the fact, they react early. So I think as long as they stay in that number and they kind of like keep a lid on, you know, on the economy, I think we're going to be okay. I think uh, in the last two, three years, the economy overheated so much that right now the Fed is just trying to take a little steam out of it. And, you know, you notice it even with, you hear all these um, uh, layoffs in the tech industry, like, you know, 100,000 people were laid off, but they don't tell you that two things. They don't tell you that um, if if Microsoft is laying off 12,000, they've hired about 60,000 the last two years. And they, now they're taking they're getting rid of 12,000. And they don't tell you that those 12,000, 10,000 of them already gotten the job the next day. Yeah. So you know what I mean? So you're not here to well yeah scary news sells too. Correct. And I, <laughs> I heard I talked to I talked to a, a friend who's a CEO of a public company, a tech public company who just announced uh, a 10% layoff. And I asked him and I said, Well, that's a tough one, but um, you know, when when the market turns around, are you you're gonna hire those people back, right? He said, No. He said they were the bottom performers. I'm gonna go hire some new ones. So essentially what companies are doing is just and what I call management by crisis. Yep. They wait for a crisis to do what they were supposed to be doing anyway, yeah. which is, you know what I mean? <laughs> which is, bit, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's what everybody's doing. But when you look at the amount of like people they had the last two years compared with their land, it's not that much. Yeah. So, and then also you look at the consumer, the consumer on average, there's a Bank of America came out when their report, they're saying the cohort that usually has between $5,000 and $7,500 in their bank account uh, before 2019, in 2020, 2020 or 21, they were have they had an average about 13000 So instead of like 6000 they had about $13,000 in their bank account. Yeah. Now they have about 12000 hmm. So yeah, it's low. They have less... They have less cash in the bank, but it's still twice as much as they had before. Yeah, and and yes, um, uh, they were talking about. So the way the way I think of it, seventy percent of the economy in the U.S. is consumer oriented. Twenty percent of it is government, and ten percent of it is um, uh, capex, corporate expense, corporate spending. So you have consumer spending, government spending, and you have corporate spending. So seventy percent is 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 uh, is consumer spending. The consumer has three sources of spending. So income, savings, and credit. So people are making more money as far as their income. Uh, people have more savings than they did before. Their credit has never been higher. You know, the average credit today is 716. It went up two points from last year and it won six points from the year before. So all three points that drive the income uh, for spending are up. So I'm not worried about the consumer. If you look at government, we just passed um, the Inflation Act, Infrastructure Act, the one trillion something dollars, that's gonna be spent. They're, they're spending, yeah. Yeah, the military spending money on Ukraine yep. and all that stuff. Yep. We're like spending quite a bit of money in government. And then when we look at corporate, the corporate the corporate guys are doing, they're saying, everybody's saying we're still spending. Yeah, they're cutting some things, but yeah. they had such a, uh, a backlog 
from last year because of supply chain stuff and plus all the stuff they couldn't get. Now they can get. So now they're pretty much spending what they already allocated, budgeted from last year and the year before. And there's so much uh, new technology and new uh, retrofit they have to do to their businesses because of lack of labor. Yeah. And and then there's so much retrofit they have to do uh, because people have shifted. So I was talking to a friend, a friend of mine who's a uh, uh, commercial real estate and one of his uh, clients is FedEx. So what they do, they essentially they go and find um, land locations and they find developers to develop uh, for them and then they lease the lease to FedEx. It's custom built for FedEx, but then they, sure. the FedEx will sign the long term lease. Yep. And he and I was You're talking like saying, a logistics hub, right? Yeah. And he was saying, like, you know, both like on the retail and logistics, uh, distribution yeah. centers and all that. And he was centers. telling me they they are they are busier, busier than they've ever been. And I'm yeah. like asking them, why? FedEx has been around such a long time. They should have all the distribution centers they need. Yeah. Yeah. They don't need more. But he was saying no. He was saying two things. One is that people have moved. Yeah. So there's more growth in the South and in, in the Sun Belt. And then the other side of it is that technology has shifted the way they sort packages and the way they do things that they have to upgrade their equipment and their mm-hmm. and their in the, in, uh, technology that the buildings they have have to be higher ceiling, have to be different doors, different setups. Yeah. So they need different type of box to do those activities within than what they have already. So they have to upgrade their infrastructure. And so for that, they have to change, they have to invest. Yep. So the CapEx is going as well, going up as well. So when I look at all these diff- different categories, I don't see a recession. And, and, then, and then the other aspect of it, most recessions are measured in a nominal uh, number, not in the real number, meaning when you take the GDP growth, you're not taking out inflation out of it. You're just keeping it as is. And so if we're saying that inflation is going to stay a little bit high in that 3% range, that means we're automatically saying we're going to be, we're going to have 3% growth. Even yeah. if we have zero growth, we have going to have 3% growth. Yeah. yeah. So, so there, yeah. So it's, it's the, the more I look into it, the more bullish I get and we're seeing inflation come down. It will stick probably in the, in that 3% for a minute. till we get like, labor and efficiencies and stuff back and then eventually they're going to have to cut those rates you know i think the feds just want they they just want the fed fund rate to match inflation so if they see inflation come down to three they're going to come down to three and then we're back we're back into full mode full bull mode yeah i think we have some interesting times ahead um you know i i hope you're right that would be great to uh, avoid a recession um i i'm i'm optimistic though even if we do hit a recession it's not going to be a super long uh, drawn out recession and and extremely deep it's not I, We'll see. Of course, neither of yeah. us have a crystal ball. We're not sitting no. here uh, saying we promise, but I don't yeah. feel like it's a 2008 uh, to, to type recession again. So I don't. Yeah, think yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. a great financial and I, crisis. And and it doesn't mean that not people people are not going to get hurt. People well, get always. hurt even in people get hurt even in the good mm-hmm. times. So well, and, and things are moving fast, right? Things are moving right. fast and changing. And so, yeah, if, if you are in specific industries, you're probably going to get, uh, yeah. gonna get hurt and, and you're going to yeah. feel it. And yeah, yep. that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, Jay, we, we got to wrap up, but I got a couple last questions I want to ask. Um, what's a, what's a favorite book that you can pass down to our listeners? Uh, it's a great old book. It's a business fiction. It's called the goal by Eliyahu. Goldtrat is an Israeli uh, author, but he's written a series that's uh, a fiction book, but it's uh, an amazing, an amazing book. Awesome. Highly awesome. recommend it. Um, all right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? So I think of wealth from a different um, perspective than, you know, usually I think of it from health, wealth and relationships. So I want to optimize health because without health, there's nothing. Yeah. And, and wealth is, is about, you know, maximizing uh, how your earnings and converting those earnings into long-term passive income. So it's a very simple formula. Just, you know, make as much money as you can convert that into passive income, control your expenses. So your passive income can cover all your expenses and you're wealthy. In my book, uh, you're, you're financially free. 
and then uh, relationships. So you can have the mm. money, but if you don't have a good relationship with your wife and your kids, then or your mother and brother, and you don't have friends, I you got nothing. I believe yeah. uh, uh, the concept of, there's a concept that the Japanese have, which is you know you you want to have like five hardcore friends that you hang out with all the time physically in person that you laugh with that you trust that it, you know that you can say everything and anything to yeah i think when you have a good connection with your family and you have a solid five people group that you are connected to i think you you can extend your life by 10 15 years not just facebook friends then no 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 <laughs> no 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 in person yeah. laugh out loud love it. spending you know hours together that's what you want love it those are awesome pillars really appreciate it jay man this is this has been fantastic i've really enjoyed the conversation your wealth of knowledge it's it's been a lot of fun so i appreciate you coming on the show man and uh you have a fantastic rest of the day thank you thank you for having me jay i forgot to ask you real quick how can yeah. our listeners get in touch with you and learn more about what you got going on? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm available in all the social media platforms uh, at jborgana.com. And uh, I'm always doing something new. And if anyone needs any help with uh, their business or uh, thinking about doing any acquisitions, um, I'm happy to. Awesome. Awesome, Jay. We'll put that in the show notes. Appreciate it. Again, awesome. have, a, have a great rest of the day, man. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating review just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and, and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to VentureDProperties.com, VentureDProperties.com and download our free ebook uh, on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it. Uh, and, and also, look, if you want some help in multifamily, want some help learning, growing, getting your business off the ground, I would love to talk to you about what it would look like uh, to work with me potentially and see if that's a good fit. So you can go to coachwithdex.com and check that out and uh, we can definitely have a, uh, a call. Thanks a lot for listening. You make it a fantastic rest of the day. I'll catch you on the next episode.